Good morning, Elevation Church. Uh, my name is Graham Watson. It's been a little while. Uh, I uh, am a member of the teaching team here at the church, and I'm a former staff. I proudly would say I'm probably like the second best youth pastor Elevation ever hired. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice to be back in this capacity, albeit uh, without uh, seeing all of your lovely faces in person. But thanks for letting me into your living room or wherever it is you watch church right now. So we're uh, continuing on this series through Revelations. And uh, thanks, Mel, for the passage you read this morning. Um, so Revelations 21, 1 to 5. What a sweet passage, eh? This um, is just a passage full of hope. And uh, I'm just going to walk us through it, I think, this morning and just try to draw out some things that have been sticking with me this week as I've been working through this scripture. And hopefully, uh, yeah, we, it's a word of encouragement this morning to you. Uh, so just zooming back a little bit, Brandon did a great job kind of looking at, at Revelation, but I just want to remind us that the whole book of Revelation is really almost like this series of references. Uh, it's, it's, uh, where one commentary I was looking at was saying that about 275 out of the 405, or like 68% of the whole book of Revelations, is all references to Hebrew scriptures. So it's sort of like this big anthology of everything that's happened before. It reminded me uh, of the Avengers a little bit. So uh, there's a pandemic going on. There's not uh, as much to do as possible. So my wife, Rachel, and I have been doing our best to work through uh, all of the things we can watch on streaming services. Uh, and so this past, uh, I guess it was this summer, we watched through all of the Marvel movies in, in uh, the cinematic universe that have been put out. Um, so Rachel has, is not a fan of good movies. Um, she would always choose rom-coms if given the choice. So I had to kind of get her into Avengers, but she was willing to kind of watch through them all. She'd seen bits and pieces of them and when I would take her on uh, uh, dates and we'd go see them in theaters and it was always just kind of confusing what was going on. And so we finally watched through all these and then we finally get to Endgame and she's sitting there like, oh, I get it now. I get where all these characters come from. I get their backstories. Some of these little jokes and references are funny because I see where they've come from earlier. And that's really uh, the way we need to approach Revelations in a lot of ways. It can be hard because we really have to be versed in the Old Testament. And if you're like me, your Old Testament uh, knowledge is pretty rusty or it's just a slog to get through. But just important context when we think about this book is that a lot of it is just trying to draw together into this final conclusion uh, that we've seen and um, carried out through all of, of the scriptures. So the passage this morning starts out <clears throat> like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and this sea was no more. So right off the bat, this, um, for anyone who knows the Hebrew scriptures, this just draws us right to Genesis 1. Uh, in Genesis 1, verse 1, the first verse of the Bible, God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Very similar language. Heaven, earth, this first heaven, earth that passed away, and the sea was no more. I, <laughs> I wish it was my joke, but uh, another commentator I was uh, looking at for this passage pointed out when, you know, he's talking about how the sea is going to be no more. If this is the picture of the end of the world, uh, we've got a new heaven and a new earth, but to any of you that like being at the beach, this is going to be a really bad time. The sea is no more. 
how you're supposed to go to the beach when there is no big sea, I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. I'm pretty much like the pastiest dude I know. So if I never have to sit at the beach again, I would be completely fine with that. But it's an undoing of creation, this first verse. Um, right, this first creation was set up and we follow this fall narrative. And now there is a new recreation, a new heaven and a new earth, no new sea. It's important, I think, to note here <coughs> that we're not given a picture at the end of us all kind of going to heaven. It's this new heaven and new earth. And as we'll read on, it's, it's coming down here. It's the sort of writing of relationship. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I personally like this marriage metaphor a lot. Um, I, don't, I mean, I don't like some of the, maybe the possessiveness. Uh, when Rachel and I got married, it wasn't maybe her kind of being presented to me. It was us coming down the aisle together on a tandem bicycle. But there's something special about the first moment that I saw her on the day of our wedding. We uh, took all our wedding photos before the ceremony with our whole wedding party. And this is like, if you're getting married sometime or getting married in the future is something you wanna do, this is my like hot wedding tip for you is do all your photos beforehand so that when your guests are there after the ceremony, you can just hang out with them, which is what we did. So uh, we had these awesome pictures. I still had this moment of like turning around and seeing her for the first time in her wedding dress and just being full of excitement, full of excitement for the day of celebrating, full of this like commitment we're gonna make, full of excitement over this new life and kind of expectation of what was to come for the two of us. I think it's an apt metaphor the author uses here about this relationship between this new Jerusalem, the church, this, this place coming down um, in this passage. And what this new thing is, that we see is comfort from God. The passage continues. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. This is not about whisking away the old. It's about dealing with what has happened. The part of this that really stood out to me is this idea of God being among us and wiping every tear away. I was thinking this week, when was the last time that somebody else wiped my tears away? Right? Like maybe when I was younger, my parents would have um, to comfort me as a young child. Maybe you're sitting at home and you've got young kids and you're like, I have already wiped away tears this morning. I will again at some point today. It is an ongoing part of life right now. But for me, that, um, as an adult now, I guess it just feels like a very, very vulnerable thing that I would be open enough for somebody else to come wipe my tears away, that they would know me and feel comfortable enough, excuse me, to wipe my tears away it's a beautiful picture, and I want you to just sit in that for a bit, that God would be close enough to us that we would have our tears cleaned up by him um, in a very, very intimate, caring way. There's going to be no more death, no more weeping, no more pain. Any challenge we face right now is not permanent. Any challenge you face right now is not permanent. 
It's not going to keep going on and on. This is hope. This is salvation, right? Hope is for this salvation. There's going to be comfort from all sin and separation from one another and from the one who our values, our value is derived from, right? Getting this intimate love from God. There's going to be reconciliation there. We're given the promise of no more brokenness. We're given, this passage speaks to a time when we will be, we'll know deeply how loved we are um, by God. And I think in, in knowing how loved we are and being in a comfortable space where we know we're loved, and we feel safe to be ourselves, it, I mean, it's now it's in those situations where I feel like I'm able to judge others the least, to be open to others, to be loving in return when I feel loved, and to be reconnected to the source of ultimate love um, in an intimate way uh, is, is a beautiful picture we're given. We're going to be rooted in security. And when we're secure, it's a lot easier to support and share with others. Now, this is a wiping away, but it is not just a throwing away. It's, it's a resolution. Jesus' resurrected body still had all the scars of what he went through uh, on earth. He, it's a resurrected, beautiful body, but it still bears um, marks from what it's been through. And I think this passage uh, points to dealing with things properly, right? That there's going to be reconciliation. The wiping of tears, the leaving of pain and death behind implies that those causes will be dealt with at their root issue. And we know that this is important. We can't just change something quickly and have a whole new fresh start, right? Um, I just think of this U.S. election that went on the last, well, I guess it's still going on. I don't know. And, uh, right, there's this hope of, like, oh, new things or new, new years. But at the heart of it, we still know there's a country deeply divided, that, like, in some ways, nothing changes. There's still this split and this tension between people that needs to be resolved on a much deeper level than some sort of election cycle. And this reconciliation promise leads to this final declaration by Jesus. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. This is present tense. He has not made, he's not going to make, he is making right now all things new. So what do we do with this declaration? If we have faith that this is true, that this reconciliation and partnership is going to happen, it means that we're sort of in this space now where we can see an image of what's going to happen. We're kind of living with this knowledge of what's at the end. It's kind of weird, right? We are able to now believe and hope and articulate a better reality than the one we're living in, which means we can maybe try to push for it. As bad as all these injustices feel right now, so many social causes are the best they have been in recorded society. So let me explain this for a second. Like, I think there are so many issues that we see um, amongst different peoples or in our own lives. But if we look at the arc of history, in many ways, there's, there are less challenges going on now. Like, it seems like we're learning as a species to be better to one another. And I think this is because some of this knowledge is, like, rooted in who we are as creative beings. It's like we know that there is supposed to be a world with no mourning, with no death, with none of these things that cause 
challenge and rifts between relationships now. And we're able to articulate these visions. We're able to articulate a time that makes more sense than the one we're in now. Or we can call ourselves to these higher standards. We can see where our society needs to go. That where we are right now isn't, isn't the final destination. It's, it's written into our created being, this promise that God uh, and Jesus declared to fulfill in Revelations. So do we just sit back and wait for that? I think some Christians think so, right? I think some Christians would say, well, you know, the poor, Jesus said the poor will always be amongst us. Or, well, it looks, there's a lot of revelations we skipped over this month. There's a lot of fire and things are going to burn. So, I mean, you know, the warming planet doesn't really matter anyway, right? Like, let's, let's just leave it up to God. And I think the challenge for us, knowing this final vision of Jesus making all things new, is to be patient, but not passive. We can never be passive through all of this. One commentator I was reading uh, this week talked about it almost in terms of hope, hope for this vision. He says, hoping requires us to see with eyes other than our natural ones. The evidence of our natural eyes often leads us to despair and cynicism about the world we live in. But the evidence that comes from faith enlivens us, strengthens us, and gives us the courage that we need to persevere. The evidence that comes from faith enlivens us, strengthens us, and gives us the courage that we need to persevere. It's certainly easy to just sit back and be cynical. I'm pretty guilty of that <laughs> all the time. Um, a church, you know, we look at the world. We don't see it made right now. We, we don't see a lot of glimpses right now of this final great declaration. We don't see a church that's like, trying and living into and humming the way it's supposed to be. We don't see a lot right now, right? And it's easy to just almost dismiss it as like this, like there's no way this is going to happen. We're not going to get there. But this declaration of making all things new is present tense. We see Jesus make things new all through the gospel. He turns a boy's scrappy lunch into a feeding for 5,000 people. He turns a blind beggar into a dancing believer. And in some ways, he's taken the cross, this instrument of torture, and turned it into this symbol of hope for 2,000 plus years now, right? From what its original context to what the cross symbolizes now is a radical shift, a really new creation. <laughs> when he was on earth, Jesus was articulating a better vision and enacting it to show the world a taste of what he could see, what we could not. And so then we're given this vision in Revelations of this ideal that all things will be made new, that creation will be recreated, as if we're almost getting back to step one in Genesis, where there's a garden and people are in good relationship and God walks amongst them. And that's one of the main uh, challenges of having this vision for us, is being people who have seen this ending, believing it, and seeing our whole lives with this different story in mind. To see where the story is going and work towards it in our own lives and communities. It's certainly a lot bigger than what we can just accomplish right now. How do we live with this bigger picture in mind? I mean, I'm reminded of this like classic little example that you might have heard before, right? Of these 
three men working in a quarry and they're asked what they're doing. And the first man said that he was breaking big rocks into little ones. That's what he's doing in the quarry. That's his vision. Second man says he's making a living. You know what? This is this bigger calling I have to provide and, and uh, make a living. <laughs> and the third man says that he's building a cathedral. The third man has this bigger picture in mind about what he's doing. He's solely in the quarry, breaking up rocks. Maybe he's making a living, but he knows and keeps in the back of his head what he's doing is building a cathedral. And that's the perspective we need to hold on to, too. This vision of Jesus calling to make all things new, that he, this promise that he will, this ending of suffering, this new heaven and earth. We need to keep this big picture in mind. This is a trend and a movement uh, through history that we have early insight into and can join in now. We can hope and believe in this new creation and hope and believe that this is the final ending of all endings. So why don't we get on board and start working towards it now? To just come back to this marriage metaphor, in some ways I think about it as an apt example again, right? I mean, before I got married, before anyone could get married, in some ways you should probably be in relationship and treating your spouse the way you expect to be treated when you're married, right? I think it would be a terrible decision to marry someone you are unsure about and um, hope that they change once you're married. There's a call to, in relationship, uh, build that the way you want it to be or the way you know it should be. And that's what we're called to do with this vision, right? How do we start to live out this, uh, this vision for a world that we really feel in our hearts that we can articulate? There's something in us that knows that that things could be better, that there's injustice, and that something stirs up in us. Even though I don't think through history we've ever seen like better examples of that actually happening. We just we know that it should be, uh, and we need to be part of that. Jesus came and lived out this example of making all things new. The Holy Spirit is active in our communities now, working to make all things new. And we can choose to have hope and faith that all things will be made new choosing a life working for this bigger picture. And that is our challenge this week uh, as we head off into a world that is um, part of this vision going forward. <laughs>